What is up, my Sunlight Samurais? I'm here with Zach. We are going to do an episode about anxiety. He's highly qualified to talk about this. He has a multitude of different uh, certifications in personal training. He's got one in nutrition and brain health. And then he is also uh, going to be accepted in a second grad school for psychology, if I uh, got that correct. Can you please elaborate on that? You also got an MA, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this will be my my second time, my second master's degree. But this one is for um, it's pretty interesting. It's in mind, uh, mind, like basically movement therapy. They call it dance slash movement therapy. But I'm not doing the dance part. I'm just doing the movement part. So they basically incorporate things like yoga, which uh, I'm a yoga teacher now, and um, things like qigong and even just lifting weights. Incorporate that into mental health into counseling programs so it was right on my alley so i had to go back and pick that up yes that starts in the fall <laughs> so you said this is the second one what was your first one uh the first one's in film that was my that was my day job and what happened was i was working in tv for years and then covid hit and i was i was doing you know a lot of um like personal training and stuff like that on the side nutrition training things like that uh but then covid hit and that was really the big change. That was one of the silver linings with COVID was I, I was like, you know what? I think I should take this other avenue full time. Yeah. So you're basically shifting from doing it uh, in person to more doing it online now? Um, well, during COVID, when I was doing the, the um, nutrition counseling, this is what actually kind of jogged my interest in doing therapy was when I was doing the nutrition counseling. People weren't talking about nutrition during COVID. We, they were talking about a lot of pretty deep emotional things. Yeah. So uh, that was that was what made me make the change. And actually, that was what made me write the book too. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure this will be in the show notes that, that I wrote a book. But like, what happened was people were reaching out to me. They knew that the um, the things I had been through and all that, and they were reaching out to me during COVID, saying like, "Hey, how did you go through this? How did you?" Um, deal with these tough times because everyone was going through tough times when we were all in lockdown and I was writing all these emails or I was having conversations with people and I just kept joking that I was going to write a book because people kept losing the emails or forgetting what I said and eventually I was like you know what I got to write a book because I'm, I'm sending out way too much information people keep losing it so I actually just wrote the book so it was totally by accident was how it all happened yeah well, I'm glad you got that done. Um, so I want to talk about, let's talk about anxiety. I myself had had anxiety in the past before, got completely rid of that. So I'm really happy about that. What has been your personal experience with anxiety? Well, you know, I didn't even know I really had it. I mean, I knew something, I knew the things I felt when I was a kid. Um, and I hadn't been through any capital T traumas. You know, I went been through the regular things that teenagers go through or kids go through. But it wasn't until like retrospect until I was like in my twenties looking back, I was like, Oh, I think I had like chemical anxiety, like some pretty serious things going on. But at the time I didn't realize it. I just thought everyone was going through this kind of stuff. Um, and man, I really didn't start to really get a deep grip on things until my late twenties. So you said you had a chemical anxiety. Can you elaborate on that? So, I say that because, and I'll, and I'll 
I have to frame this because the way I discuss things as far as overcoming both anxiety and depression, and they both travel the same pathways in the brain, um, was I, my first kind of block, and I call these building blocks because there is no silver bullet in getting over depression or anxiety or defeating it or however you want to put it. My first, but my first blocking in building things in the right direction was um, working out, lifting weights, things like that. And then I had, and it was just like a series of blocks, series of blocks. And I was doing thing after thing, after thing, after thing. And I just kept feeling a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. Um, and then the last building block, so to speak, was I started taking medication and I was like, oh yeah, like this made a big difference too. So it, it, it so it wasn't just behavioral things. There was also a, a, a chemical uh, aspect where I can pretty much nail down um, that that was a, a major contributor because I was doing everything else under the sun and I still had a little bit of anxiety. So, but once I was on that medication, it pretty much knocked it out completely. Uh, what medication was that? Was it a serotonin reuptake inhibitor or what specifically? Yeah, yeah, a, a type of that. It's called an SNRI. And okay. I was on that because I was going through um, an unrelated like nerve issue. So they actually give that instead of the traditional SSRI and SNRI is given to people with uh, people with fibromyalgia, let's say things like that. So I was dealing with chronic pain just from some soft tissue damage in my neck and was going down my arm. So they gave me that and it was kind of like a two for one deal. And that was actually how they convinced me to go on. It was because they were like, well, it's going to help with your pain too. So that was what, what convinced me because I could have gone on the rest of my life where I was at, because I was doing everything else right. I'd spent, a, you know, a decade learning all these, the right quote unquote things to do. Um, and I could have gone on, but it was the, it was, they convinced me with the chronic pain stuff and it, it really helped a lot. So what kind of anxiety did you have? Did, was it only a major hindrance in your life or were you able to uh, kind of like harness some aspects of anxiety in a positive way? Oh, that's a, a great question. And nobody ever asks me that. I've probably done 60 interviews. Nobody ever asks me that. Uh, and I was afraid first, this is kind of a two-part answer. At first I was afraid to go on it because I was afraid I would lose my creativity because um, I had heard stories about people losing all their creativity. And this is a long time ago, mind you. So I'm sure the drugs are different now. And this is also different people, but for me, um, I actually didn't lose any creativity at all. If anything, it helped because it helped me kind of focus more on the things I was doing as far as TV production or writing songs, things like that. So it actually helped me. Um, and the, the, <clears throat> the other part was, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. Um, I was afraid that it would hinder my drive because there were instances, like you said, where I would get so anxious, I would like kind of try to tackle a bunch of things at once. And I was like, oh man, am I going to be less productive? And it didn't work that way either. I was looking for, you know, maybe downsides and, and none of those downsides happened. I'm actually, I'm just as productive. If anything, I'm a little more productive. It's just the way I'm wired. I'm, I'm always moving and I'm always going. Uh, so yeah, so those, luckily I didn't, I didn't um, uh, react in a negative way. So, so what is your main hypothesis for, uh, maybe hypothesis is not the right word, but what is the main hypothesis for anxiety that people generally experience? Because there's, there can be a variety of different reasons why people are anxious. So what's 
like the, the most common reason why people do experience a lot of anxiety. Let's say neurochemistry wise. No, okay. Well, oh man, we can go really deep on this. So let me preface it with, I don't think anyone has the exact same brain or the exact same experiences or the exact same body, any of that kind of stuff. So there is no one cause. Um, and the, I, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, again, trying to put these things the right way, but, um, it's really coming at it from different angles. Now I'll give you an example. Okay. So, uh, some people say that anxiety or depression are a result of, um, your probiotics being messed up and they're actually prescribing probiotics. Here's why that sounds like a far stretch. And I know that sounds weird, but you create 90% of your serotonin in your gut, not in your brain. So if your gut health is way off, that's going to affect your serotonin. So that's just one aspect, right? But that's not for everybody. Some people are going to take those, those probiotics and it's not going to change anything because maybe there was trauma. Maybe it's a completely different chemical thing going on. Uh, some people say it's low vitamin D. So some people are being prescribed vitamin D. I think there's a correlation. I don't think there's necessarily a causation, but that's one aspect there too, which is why I'm just a huge proponent of coming at it from every angle because it's good for you anyway. I've had people say to me, I've, I've given this book to therapists and they've said to me like, you know, this is a good book for anybody because even if we're not treating depression or anxiety or anything like that, it's good for you anyway. <laughs> you know, these are good practices anyway. So I like to come at it from every angle as opposed to, you know, oh, well, this is definitely the cause of, anxiety and you know you go on your medication and that's the end of it uh, i don't i'm not a big believer in that yeah i think we can dive a little bit more into when we discuss specifically supplements um and i'm pretty sure you focus like you said you focus on all angles so that would be like the diet the lifestyle the supplements all of it combined so let's start with the diet if someone comes to you um and do you like immediately analyze their diet as well it depends on who i'm talking to and it depends on why they're seeing me the, when they're seeing me, cause I'm a, like you said, I'm a fitness nutrition specialist. So when people come for me, come to me for that, of course, I look at their diet immediately. Uh, everyone I see their diets could be much better. Everyone I see is dehydrated. Everyone I see their, their levels are way off as far as vitamins, things like that. Also, everyone has a slightly different, um, body where they kind of process foods differently. So I know for me, if I have a glass of milk, it's not going to end well. But if my friend has a glass of milk, they'll be fine. So the very first thing I do is I advise people to get an allergy test because maybe it's something that they're eating every single day that's causing that inflammation in their gut. And again, maybe they're not able to create, to make that serotonin because they're always inflamed in their gut. At the very least, they're feeling a little bit crummy and it's going to make that mountain, so to speak, that they have to climb a little bit harder. So that's the very first thing I do is just seeing what's totally not working for you. And then from there, we can say, okay, we know we need to stay away from these. So what's the best thing that's going to work for your lifestyle? Um, almost across the board, I do say this, and this is just to get your day started the right way. I do say, wake up, brush your teeth, grab a tall glass of water, because most of us are starting dehydrated. And also we're starting, that's a first win. So mentally we're setting ourselves up for, for, an easy win. We know it's pretty simple to drink a glass of water. Boom. Check it off our list. We win next thing. So that's the very first thing, right? I was like, let's get our hydration in order. And also let's just cut out all that soda first. 
it tends to be a little easier when I'm working with people for them to wrap their minds around beverages, like uh, cutting out soda. And I'll say, don't even worry about the rest of the stuff yet. We're going to do this. I always say one block at a time and not even worry about the, the diet yet. Let's just get the soda out of the picture first and then work from there and get them drinking more water or healthier things. What would you say would be the most uh, offensive foods when it comes to anxiety that the most common ones that you find that you have to eliminate from people's diets? For some people it's, um, and I hate saying this for some people it's caffeine and I hate saying that because uh, I love caffeine and I'm lucky enough to where it doesn't affect me, but I was, you're not even going to believe me the amount of caffeine people drink. I, I was actually, <laughs> I met with a woman who every single night when she was asleep would go through an entire two liter bottle of soda through the night, drink this stuff through the night. Right. So it's pretty wild, but <laughs> like, and no offense to any of your listeners who do that, but like, to me, that was like a, a shock and that had a ton of caffeine in it. And then she'd wake up super anxious. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, you didn't really sleep that well. And plus you're, you're, you're dumping all this sugar and caffeine in your system. So that was a big one. And just, um, there, there wasn't like necessarily a major food, but if you'd had them keep a log of what they were, they were eating, um, just like the oxidative stress of things like fried foods and, and not getting the right nutrition. It was almost more of a case of things they were missing because they were eating so much garbage. So it was more of a case of like deficits than, than um, adding things that didn't do well for them. Have you ever noticed that intermittent fasting might make some people's anxiety better or worse? Oh, I, I, yes. So yes. Um, I tried it for a little while and it made mine worse. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I know that the way I have to eat is different from most people. I have to eat small meals all throughout the day because I can't let my blood sugar drop past a certain level. Um, or else I, I definitely feel that anxiety popping up. Now it's, we should say the studies are done. It's, it's, this is done. It doesn't matter how you eat, whether you eat a massive, you know, couple meals a day, or you eat a bunch of small meals during the day. Um, as far as, as far as, um, general health. Okay. So either way, your body's going to treat it fine. But I know a lot of people, we all know the term hangry, which is like, you're hungry, angry. So like a lot of people, that's okay. If you're a little, if you're a little bit hangry, you know, grab a quick protein shake or grab whatever. And that's okay too. Don't feel like you're going to destroy any gains from intermittent fasting because you can still do right, um, for your body with other things. You know, if you, if you, if you have a shake with bananas and berries in it you're not gonna you're not hurting anything yeah i, I tend to actually get that hangry effect um so interestingly you, you talk about starting the day with liquids and i actually just made a video on youtube for this is that um i can literally give myself hypothyroid like symptoms when i don't start the day strong so i can literally become cold and anxious cold hands and feet like stress response typically so i can literally have like if i only have coffee like this, I don't really have salt, like you mentioned, like caffeine immediately with on an empty stomach can really like cause that anxiety. But let's say I have like a, a milkshake. So I add in banana and carbo like banana and honey. So it's a higher carbohydrate meal in the morning. I literally don't get that kind of anxiety. So it helps to, because the cortisol is obviously highest in the morning. So the moment you get that carbohydrate into your system, it helps to lower your stress hormones. And that kind of like takes that hangry away from me. So I really benefit from starting the day strong. And it seems to like you can like benefit the same from that, like 
more frequently keeping the blood sugar stable. That's how I work. Yeah. And like, uh, this sounds a little silly too, but we were talking about the, the hydrating in the morning. I always say, uh, I have like a little mantra, water before coffee. So I try to tell people water before coffee. Just remember that. That's another small block. Water before coffee. Because if you're immediately, you're getting that, that caffeine in. Well, there's, for most people, there's not really many calories in it. And you're automatically getting that cortisol kind of agitated and with the caffeine. So yeah, at the very least, get that water in first. I prefer it kind of the way you're doing it. You're getting some real food in with you as well. Yeah, I've actually recently, not so recently, past few months, started shifting the coffee away from the morning. So like a lot of people, you wake up immediately, you have some coffee, get your day starting. Uh, but what I've started doing is like you wake up, go for a walk, you know, you have your shake, have some food. So you have, wait about like 30 to 45 minutes, and then you have your caffeine. Because that initial spike in cortisol takes about 30 minutes. So you don't want to artificially stimulate that process. Yeah, I, that, I love what you said. I actually do the same thing. And I love that. If, if you're able to do that, I highly recommend that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Have you ever tried bulletproof coffee? Because um, I'm blanking on the guy that designed it now, but he said basically by adding in butter or cream to the caffeine makes it like a slow release. So you don't get anxiety. Have you ever experimented with that? Um, I, I did a little bit and I didn't notice a difference to be honest. Uh, it was, it was worth a shot, you know, and it was, okay. But I feel like if I'm going to concentrate on some things, I'd rather concentrate on like the low hanging fruit. That seemed like more of a, for me, at least it was more of like a, um, like a fine tuning type thing, like a marginal gain type thing, but I'd rather concentrate on the, the bigger picture. Yeah. I can imagine people listening to this. Um, you said that you have to eat more frequently to keep the blood sugar stable. And I can just imagine a few people's going to comment here and say that, well, maybe you should try a low carb diet because that will keep your blood sugar stable. What do you think of that? Yeah. Um, well, I can't because I'm a, I'm a personal trainer and I teach group fitness and I'm teaching, I'm working out so much. I can't have a low carb diet. Um, other people play around with it and see what works for your body. It sounds like a lazy answer, but it is true that everyone's body is different. Everyone, everyone processes things differently. So I'm not going to tell people you have to do low carb or you have to do X, Y, or Z as far as, as far as your macro, uh, ratios. Um, I can only speak for me and because I'm training so much, I have to keep my carbs high because I'm, I'm going through my, I'm burning glycogen often, you know, yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. I completely agree with that because like when you're doing a low carb diet, even though that can keep your blood sugar more stable, your stress hormones are going to be higher. So cortisol and the catecholamines is going to be higher when you're on a lower carb diet. And that's often why people have anxiety in the first place. So now they kind of compensate with the ketone production that's more pro-GABA, but you're still ending up with higher levels of the sympathetic nervous system, which can make the anxiety worse. So I don't think that the low-carb diet is uh, good in any way. So um, just because you're eating carbohydrates doesn't mean your body can't keep the blood sugar stable. So I'm interested, what kind of carbohydrates do you typically eat? Um... I typically, let me think. Okay, so I, I, I sound like a crazy person, but I eat the same thing every single morning. And I, I don't get flavor fatigue, so I can do that. I, I'm fine with that. So every single morning, I'll have my tall glass of water, and then I make scrambled eggs with olive oil and salsa. This is every single day. I eat that in the morning. And then later on in the day, I'll have, and this is still morning, later on in the morning, I'll have a shake with banana, frozen berries, uh, cocoa powder, uh, peanut butter, um, almond milk, uh, and cinnamon. 
I have that every single every single day. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of my carbs come from fruit, and then I'll have I'll typically have like a whole wheat sandwich during the day. Um, but but as far as the beginning of the day, that's that's all my carbs. Have you noticed the difference between starches versus fruit in terms of anxiety and mood? I haven't. That's a great question. I haven't noticed that, but I have noticed a general well-being because I I do recall times like days when I didn't have any fruits or vegetables and I was these were bad like um uh I was in college and I was rushing around and I was just having like like car like um starches or like like breads and I didn't have any fruits or vegetables and I could feel a real difference inside my body so there was some kind of physiological effect going on however I can only speak for myself I I did feel a difference if I'm going to give you a short answer yes I felt the difference yeah, it's quite interesting. I've also noticed a lot that people do experience sometimes like brain fog and slower cognition in general, anxiety, more depression when they have more starch-based um, foods versus going to fruits, because it tends to be that someone have some kind of starch sensitivity specifically. Like, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's something that they call like non-celiac um, uh, non wheat sensitivity. I'm, I'm blanking on the exact name, but it's not people that's exactly sensitive to the gluten but they are sensitive to like the starch molecule. Some people say it's the fructin, which is the, one of the FODMAPs, but like even like a potato or a rice, eliminating that kind of starch out of your diet, suddenly you feel a lot better. The brain is functioning much better. So I don't know if exactly if it's because of the insulin levels, if it's some kind of gut irritation going on, but there seems to be a genuine um, effect there. See, it's interesting, right? It's some people have that and some people don't, just like some people have allergies to pollen and some people don't. So it, it really is an individual thing. And that's like a big thing of why I, I meet with people. They've tried a couple of things. They tried the mainstream things and it's not working with them. So as far as my nutrition stuff, I try to really dial in what's working for that particular person. It does seem that a lot of people are sensitive to milk. What is your main symptoms when you consume milk? Um, I break out in a ton of zits. I get pimples all over. That's my biggest symptom. Yeah, it's... Uh, um, I feel it too. It's kind of painful. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's not really mentally. It's more like a physical, do you think it's a lactose intolerance? Um, it's not an allergy. I can tell you that because I took an allergy test. Now there is a difference between allergy and intolerance. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily the lactose because I tried like that lactate milk and it was the same thing where they take the lactose out of it. Um, but it's definitely milk is definitely if I have too much cheese um, and I feel it in my face. It's a weird symptom, but I feel it in my face. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, have you ever looked into the A1, A2 casein? No. So a lot of people that actually are sensitive to A1 casein, and that's predominantly in cow's milk. So if they shift to A2 only cow's milk or to specifically goat milk, which is only A2 casein, most people that I recommend that to tolerate it very, very well, but because the A1 casein, it has an, a pro-opioid effect. That's why you can like feel that brain fog, that slowing constipation kind of effect when you have A1 milk. But it's yeah. not A1, it's a blend between A1 and A2. It's a percentage. But people tend to be sensitive to that A1. So if they go switch over to goat milk, so maybe you can try this. Try some goat milk and see if you actually tolerate it better because... I definitely feel like dairy, like let's say goat milk is going to be much more nutritional dense than for example, uh, almond milk. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. And I'll pass that along to my clients as well. All right. Pretty cool. Um, so that's for diets. 
let's talk about lifestyle. What is your go-to when you, um, someone comes to you, or let's say you start to experience anxiety that day, what's your go-to to get rid of that specific anxiety? Well, first thing, like I said, I, I eat something. That's the very first thing. Okay. I don't want to discount that. Um, a big one for me is just get outside if I can. I just go for a walk and it doesn't have to be like a, a run. It doesn't have to be anything intense. I just go for a walk if that's available to me. If that's not available to me, I will do something like lift weights or I'll do something where I have to, if I have to be indoors. Um, another really great one is yoga. Um, now that I'm a yoga teacher, I'm doing yoga a lot. And I've noticed a big difference, especially for things like, um, uh, like old injuries, keeping things at bay. Uh, it's like a lot of connective tissue work. I really like doing yoga, but you're also getting the breath work in there. You're also getting around people a lot of the time if you're able to be at a yoga studio. Um, there's a whole cascade of effects. So I'm a huge fan of doing yoga. Uh, recently, a big one for me, and this is very recently, I've been getting into Qigong. So if, if let's just say I were to have a bit of an anxiety attack, Qigong is great because you don't even have to get on the ground or do anything. You can just kind of... Tap into your breath and just get into some of these movements. Uh, and for anyone who doesn't know what that is, that's kind of like Tai Chi. So um, Qigong is going to be at the top of my list as well as of right now, as far as like, um, like acute, like, like immediate relief for, for anxiety. That would be some of the big ones. Yeah. Have you noticed that anxiety can correlate with body temperature? No. And I should, and I don't know what this is in, in Celsius, but I'm in New Jersey where, I mean, I know zero is, is 32 for us, but we go, we go well below freezing here and then very, very, very hot in the summer. And I haven't noticed a correlation with that. And I'll, and, um, you know, we'll be frigid one day and then the next day we'll be sweating, sweating. So I haven't noticed a correlation with that. No. Yeah. Like, have you ever done a blood test and check your thyroid have you ever experienced hypothyroidism i haven't okay the reason i'm asking is because people that are hypothyroid tend to have slightly lower levels of the core temperature like a few degrees fahrenheit and people that are hypothyroid tend to have higher risk levels of uh, depression and anxiety because of the core temperature being lower so one of the tricks that i have found that really helps to get rid of anxiety is that to heat yourself up so for example you're doing a sauna you're doing exercise you're sitting in a car for example where you're in an enclosed space. So you're talking about New Jersey, that's very cold, but let's say you're in the car, the sun is shining on the car and you can basically create a, like a mini sauna effect that increases your temperature. And by the time you're like, kind of like, you know, loosened up, your anxiety is significantly less. So you have never like experienced that? I've never experienced that, but that's a great one that I'm going to pass along to somebody now because they actually get anxiety on car rides. And that's a great one to pass along. We do have uh, an infrared sauna at my work, which are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so if anybody's at my work, I'm going to say, hey, jump in the sauna. But that's a really interesting thing to know. It's very interesting with uh, the breathing that you talk about, because one of the things that breathing also do is, um, I don't exactly sure what kind of breathing you do, but I, I reckon it's kind of like that CO2 retention. And CO2 also helps to promote proper blood flow. So you end up with higher body temperature as well. Like, have you noticed like, by doing that exercises, like the, you call it Qigong, right? So you end up with higher levels of your body temperature and feel better afterwards because of the breathing and the temperature. I know I always feel better. I never equated it with temperature, which you like, that's interesting because I know some people who are really into hot yoga and that may be one of the reasons why, 
because they're they're feeling better from that temperature. That is so like fascinating for me. I've 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 never come across that. And I've talked about a lot of stuff in my book, and I never I've never thought about that. That's fascinating. Yeah, for me, like especially when I was hypothyroid like a few years ago, and in the winter it's cold, you know. And then I would like get really cold. My hands and feet would be really cold. I would sound like it shivers. My neck would get tight. You have like this anxiety, you're driving places and it feels like it's really hindrance in life. It doesn't feel like you're in a coward or anything. It just, you have this, this unnecessary anxiety in a way, you know, like yeah, you can still yeah. talk to people, but you, you can like, you are anxious because you are anxious. You're anxious that yes. people will perceive you to be anxious. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And isn't that funny how it's so hard to put it? Like you can't put your finger on it. You're not afraid. It's just a, it's its own thing. That's kind of living inside of you. Very odd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have you noticed the difference between low intensity and high intensity exercise for anxiety? Um, yeah, I have. I have a little bit. So one of the things that helps me is, look, look, it all helps me. It, there, there's no doubt about that. But the, uh, the, the biggest helpers have been HIT classes. So high intensity interval training, where we'll just go all out for half an hour. <clears throat> and we're joking. <clears throat> excuse me. We're joking around a lot and we're having fun when we do it, but we're working hard. And if that's not your cup of tea, because I understand that's a lot of jumping around, um, cycling may be really good. If you're, if you're like on a stationary bike and you're pumping really hard, like really getting that blood flowing, it almost feels like you're sweating it out. Now, if neither of those are available to you, that's okay because weightlifting does help or slower intensity stuff does help. But yeah, the, the hit stuff definitely makes uh, a little bit of a difference there for sure have you noticed there's kind of like a duration uh, necessary duration that you have to do an exercise to actually get the benefit of the anti-anxiety effect i if i had to guess i'd say once i'm in about 10 or 15 minutes it definitely has to be um past the warm-up stage so if i'm on a treadmill for five minutes it's that's not going to do too much but once you're in it once you're in the zone I personally don't think it's just physical. I think it's a cascade. I think it's a lot of things like you're getting your mind in the game. You're maybe learning things. Maybe you're having fun. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of things going on there, but it takes a while for your body to kind of uh, get into the zone, so to speak. Yeah. How do you view anxiety? Like the way I view it, it's a negative kind of energy. So when you exercise, you expand energy. So you can like get rid of that negative energy. How do you perceive? Do you perceive the same? Yeah. I mean, that's a beautiful way of putting it. You just, it's, you're, you're expelling it. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Um, on my, luckily I don't have many bad days anymore. This is, you know, this is after years and years of sharpening the sword, but luckily I don't have many bad days anymore, but if it does pop up here and there, um, it's almost like your mind is con your, your brain is controlling your mind. Your brain keeps worrying about things that haven't happened or may never happen. Yeah. So you have to pause and be like, well, hold on. I'm the boss here. The, the mind is the boss, not the organ, not the brain, not the, not the feeling that's coming from here. It's my mind that's the boss. And you have to kind of override that sometimes. 
Yeah, for sure. So as, as we talked about, like there's a multitude of different reasons why people can have anxiety. For example, you can have a disbalancement in your neurotransmitters. You might have a hypogonadism, for example, you might have hypothyroidism. Um, what about people coming to you because like they don't really know how to schedule because that like this chaotic schedule can also cause a lot of anxiety. Like how do you help those people also via exercise and those stuff? Yeah. And like, I talk about exercise and that's, that's an important part, but it's not everything that, that I do or talk about with people. Um, but have you ever heard of the Myers-Briggs test? I have, but I don't know much in detail. So, I mean, it's really not, it's really not super important. Um, basically what it does is it breaks down people into like types. And for me, um, keeping things on a very tight schedule, very regimented and doing something the same way every single day, that's not going to work for me. Some people really thrive on that. So the first thing I do is I try to, just like foods, I try to see what's working for their personality and what doesn't. Like for me, if I worked at a nine to five job and I did the same thing every night, that would feel like a prison. Uh, but some people really like that and they like the tedium of like, let's say being an accountant where I could never do that. Uh, so I try to I try to learn their personality first and see what works for them. I know that I know that sounds like a lazy answer too, but it's the truth. It it really is up to the individual. So do um, kind of like whose responsibility do you think it is to identify where their anxiety is coming from? I guess that's why they're coming to you, so you can help them identify and then refine. Yeah, um, that's one of the reasons they're coming. They're coming to me. Yeah, and. It's a funny thing because sometimes it's not coming from anywhere except for it's an internal thing. Sometimes it's traumas that they're still carrying around. Um, sometimes, like you said, it's just poor planning and they're just done with this and they can't live like this anymore because they're, they have homework on their car seat and it flew in the back and they forgot where it went. And it, it, it is um, a multitude of things. It's interesting when you start really digging with individuals, though, and seeing what, what it is that's actually setting it off. Um, I, I was talking to someone the other day who um, someone was spying on them in their house when they were a kid. And here they are, much older adult, and it still bothers them. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So it's like, Okay, okay, so now, and it took a lot of work to get to that point to find out that this was what, was, what it was. Um, so yeah, it's interesting, which was obviously, not, well, not obviously, but it, it was nothing near my issue. I never had anything like that. It's interesting when you dig, yeah. Um, actually, one of the things that I've noticed is that the importance of morning exercise, you talk about this as well. Like you get your breakfast going, you go for some activity. I have found that if I don't do that morning activity, my mind tends to be more scattered. And because of that more scatteredness, you can like have more anxiety. Like once you can like get that exercise going, you get that release in dopamine and androgens and then you feel so much more focused. Like, okay, this is what I have to do today. Let's get it done. You feel so much like on a higher level, you, you raise your baseline. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes I don't work out in the morning if I'm not teaching because so, I have to do like, according to my job, my, one of my jobs is I'm a, I'm a trainer. So if I'm teaching at night, a lot of times I don't teach during the day. But so here's one of the tricks that I get around with that. So part of my morning ritual is I'll have that glass of water. I'll make the, those eggs. And then what I'll do, and I still do this every day. And now I'm going to start to sound like a crazy person. I take an actual piece of paper and an actual pen. I don't do this on my phone. I do this on paper. 
and I write out the things I need to do for that day. Um, now, some things I want to do every single day. So I've actually made copies of these like same 16 things that I want to do every single day, like drink the water. And that's at the top of the list. And then I'll have next to it, I'll write down the things that I need to do that are for, for that time in my life. And I'll go through with a pen and I'll cross off as I do it. And I'll cross off. So when my anxiety starts to get a little crazy and I'll be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm getting scattered. I go right back to that sheet. And I say, okay, let's get back on track. Let's find the next thing that I can just knock out. What's something easy that I can do? And I don't try with the hardest one. I know a lot of people try the, there's a saying, eat that frog, where they, they want to get the biggest thing out of the way first. Well, I don't, I don't do that. I'd say, well, no, no, let's just set our sights with anxiety. Sometimes it's tough to tackle a big mountain. So we just say, okay, what's, what's something easy that I can get out of the way? Boom, knock it out. Then we say, what's the next easy thing I can do? Boom, and it just kind of gets you back on track. So I like having that physical piece of paper in the world that I can use to cross things off. And people make fun of me still, but I don't care, man. It works really well. Like I have it in front of me. And a lot of people, when they do things on their phone, or they just say, oh, I have a mental list. We all have way too many things to do to remember everything. So I like having it right there in front of me. Yeah. It's been man, really helpful I, just, just to come yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I do exactly the same thing on a piece of paper, but my list is a little bit shorter. I have only three things. I try to limit myself only to three because like oh, sometimes cool. when you do become overwhelmed, it's like, you know what, let's just calm down. What are my responsibilities? No, but like really, what are my responsibilities? My only responsibilities is like, maybe go to work because you need to get some money. That's kind of like your only responsibility. I know some people have a little bit more, but I think people tend to over conflate their kind of responsibilities. Like I need to take out the trash. I need to do this and that. And it's like, you don't have to do that. It would be convenient yeah. if you did that, but yeah. you don't have to do it. And then you can like go back to that list. Okay, I have three things. Okay, let's get focused and, and get that done. I found that really to be effective. So that's, that's a great tip, yeah. One of the things that I like to do, see, I, I have like my little micro goals, I call them on there. So like, just because I like crossing off the wins. So like my supplements that I take in the morning, I cross them off or like juggle is one of them because for brain health, I like juggling. So I'll just juggle for a little bit during the day. I'll cross that off. So I like putting things like that too, making sure I'm keeping up certain stretches that I need to do. I'll just keep that up and I, I cross those off my list too. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. So how do you view fear setting? Because let's say someone at the baseline, when they're comfortable, they don't have anxiety. They're on their couch watching TV. They don't have anxiety. But it's because they're not really pushing themselves in life because when they start to do things, they get anxiety. So I, I feel like fear setting is really important. Do you have any insight on specific fear setting, maybe specific tasks that's helpful? I just came across something not too long, long ago. Have you ever heard the term allostatic load? I have, but now I'm blanking in the specific um, definition. Yeah. It was coined like back in the, I want to say about 1990. So essentially, if you look at yourself, if you look at your stress as a chart and the allostatic load is all of the stressors in your life, not just the physical stress, but the mental stress, emotional stress, all that kind of stuff. And what you want is to find that sweet spot in challenge in your life right in the center. So a little bit too much stress, you're going to have burnout. Way too much stress, you're going to have exhaustion. But if you have not enough stress in your life, you're going to have things like lethargy, where you're actually going to have less energy than if you stress yourself a little bit more. So you have to have that perfect amount of stress and to be balanced, to be right there in the center. It's a really fascinating thing. And I've noticed that where, oh man, I have nothing to do today. I'm just going to sit down on the couch. I start to get a little tired. Yeah. Well, actually, if I, if I, if I, 
give myself a little bit more stuff to do, I'll have a little bit more energy. It's, it's a really cool thing that I've just been, just been getting into recently, trying to keep that, that perfect amount of stress in my life. You know, are, are you doing anything specifically that is still creating a little bit of anxiety for you? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a little bit too much, to be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm, um, well, like you were saying with fear setting, I do things that are a little bit scary. Like as far as I'm in a band and I, and I it's a little scary because you're playing in front of a lot of people and, you know, I wrote these songs and I don't know if people are going to like this or not. So that's a little bit of, I'm writing a new album right now. So that's, that's kind of like a big, a bigger scary goal even though i've done it a million times that kind of thing never gets old for me so that's kind of like a, a fear setting thing i don't really do too many physical fear setting things anymore it, for a while there it was you know ride 100 kilometers on my bike things like that but i know i can do that i'm not saying i'm good at it but i'm just saying like if it's in the physical world sometimes it's just easy to break it down into small chunks and get it done so my 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 fear things are have more to do with like uh creative projects well, I find that this really cool. Um, the reason I ask that is because like people tend to have an anxiety over something and that the more they practice it, the more that anxiety tends to go away. Like one example that I can give my experience is that um, I was kind of like forced to start this online coaching. Like initially I just did um, just emails to people because you don't have to be physical with them. You don't have to do a call. And it's like, you know what? I think it will provide much more value to the people if I could just do a call with them. And I tend to be an introverted person. So the initial calls, you can imagine, I was quite anxious. Like I was getting sweaty hands, my heart would beat. I would feel really uncomfortable. Okay, I put the calls in like five minutes. I'm stressing. And after doing that for quite a bunch of times, you know, like multiple years now, that anxiety is completely gone. Like I'm doing the calls, you know, no stress reaction at all. So that's a really good way to get that interaction with people because you're kind of like forced to do it. So that's why I... Um, Kind of like Tom Ferriss talks about the same thing. It's like, it's better to be forced into a fear setting because that really forces you to adapt and get better at something. Whereas if you weren't forced to do it, you would never have done it. So now you yeah. have gained a valuable skill in the process and that helps you to overcome anxiety. And because you're fear setting, that's going to carry over to other aspects of your life. I have a funny story that goes along with that. So at, I just got my yoga teacher certification back about six months ago, a little more than that. And my yoga teacher, we were all scared to teach a class. We were all scared to teach a class. My yoga teacher said, oh, I can't be there that day. Can you teach this class for me? And I said, yeah, sure. Turns out it was a regular yoga class. I thought she wanted me to teach like a strength class, but it was a yoga class. So she texts me. It was right at the class. I'll never forget this class started at 10 a.m. <laughs> I said, I had all the members coming in telling me it was a yoga class. I was a brand new teacher. I'd never taught a class before. I was super scared. And she texts me, ha, 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 good luck. So I'm like, you know, so I was forced to get over that mountain. So that's a tradition we have in our studio now where I'll be teaching a class and I have people in yoga teacher training. And I'll be like, hey, guys, come on out here. Now this, this person in training is going to show us how to do these stretches. And they're like, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm scared. But yeah, that's a great thing. You just kind of, you just... Um, trial by fire, you know, throw them in and, and there you go. And, and it's always worked out so far. Have you ever discovered any tactics that you can use on the spot? Let's say you go in for an interview. Um, maybe that's a bad example, but that kind of anxiety of an interview in oh. five minutes, what would you do in that five minutes to kind of prepare yourself? Absolutely. Have you ever heard of box breathing? Yes. Yeah. So I'll do box breathing. So for your listeners who haven't heard of it, 
It's all through your nose, deep belly breath, diaphragmatic breath, in for a count of four, hold for a count of four, out for a count of four, hold for a count of four. And as I'm doing that, I'll close my eyes and I'll visualize myself taking care of whatever it is, doing it perfectly. You know, just um, what could go wrong, navigating that and just kind of reading my way through it. And then it feels like I've done it already, at least in a way, it feels like I've done it already. And plus, when you're breathing through your nose, it activates that little, those nerves, the nasal, in the nasal cavity, you know, you have those um, cluster of nerves, activates your parasympathetic nervous system, slows down your heart rate, gets your digestion moving again. It's almost like a shutoff valve. It's like, okay, I can do this. Have you ever found like five minutes is enough? And that posture is also important when you're doing that breathing? Um, five minutes for me tends to be enough. And posture is something that I'm continually working on. I actually write a little S on my wrist to remind me to bring my shoulders back and my sternum up because <laughs> I want to practice that, that good posture. Uh, man, I do sound like a crazy person. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, posture is important, but it, I think it's one of those things that it's, we're always working on it. Yeah. Yeah, like because with your stretch, you're kind of like hunched forward. That kind of like activates the sympathetic nervous system. This is never a relaxed posture. And this is this is always a relaxed posture. So people think this is confident, but this is always more like a relaxed, activating the parasympathetic nervous system. So I always notice like when I feel a little bit stressed and you just straighten up and breathe, like deep belly breathe, like through the nose, obviously. Like immediately you can feel like a stress release going through the body. And because a lot of people, when they like hunch over, they tend to hyperventilate, but it's short breaths. So when you just come upright, it's much more easier to do a deep and slow breath, yeah. retain that CO2 and feel much better. And I think there's something to it. Just, just bringing the crown of your head up towards the sky and keeping having a tall spine, something about having just that tall spine, like being back in that alignment where we should be even energetically. So it's all, we're hitting it from a bunch of different angles, the breath, the posture, the tall spine, all of it's working together. Have you ever experimented with back breathing? No, 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 no. What I, what I do now is, so this is funny. I, I was just talking to a physical therapist and I'm trying to get out of this, this, this one directional breathing. She said, I'm really good at belly breathing, but I need to practice more. They call it either jellyfish breathing or umbrella breathing. So it's actually from my, it's not just your belly, but your ribs as well need to go out. So I'm practicing a lot of that now. Yeah. So what's back breathing? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've I've always like it's a lot of cues, you know, breathe out in the back and the sides and the rope cage should expand. There's a lot of things you have to be conscious of when you're doing all yeah. of this breathing and you know, quench the, the pelvic muscles and all kinds of strange yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's quite a practice, yeah. <laughs> all right, so but let's after switch a while. After a while, I mean I've noticed myself driving. I'll be like, oh, I'm breathing really well right now because I've practiced it so much. So so eventually, you know, this all becomes second nature. Yeah, do you make a habit of uh uh, practicing your breathing like breathing exercises uh well in yoga i'm definitely forced to and when i'm teaching any of my classes i'm forced to and i guess i guess i do without thinking about it now before i used to have to really think about it my big thing was when i was driving because uh, i drive a lot and i would have to really think about it but now i just kind of fall into it yeah that's cool what kind of yoga are you specifically doing? The reason I'm asking this because I've read a book about um, by James Nestor called Breath. And he talked about, I, maybe I'm recalling incorrectly, but I think it was that book. He talked about the origin of um, yoga was by the Indians and how they kind of like started it was by holding a specific position for a very long time and just doing the breathing. So it was more so 
instead of a variety of unique movements, you're more so holding a movement and doing that breathing, make it really uncomfortable. Like, is that something more or less similar that you're practicing? We do. Well, we do Iyengar yoga. So we use the props in case uh, people can't touch their toes, things like that. And what I do, I came from a martial arts background. So what I do is I try to hit it with that same kind of variety. So I'll start with just some deep belly breathing. We're seated. We're doing some easy stretches. And then we'll go into more of a flow, like a vinyasa, where we're, we're moving, we're getting heated up, we're getting heated up, we're getting heated up, and we're not pausing. Then we'll get to the point where we're doing, like you said, holding poses for a longer time. Then we'll do balanced stuff. Then we'll do our really deep stretch. Then we'll do our meditation. So I try to come at it from every angle. I very rarely do just one type of class where we're just doing our flow throughout it or just doing holding poses. I, I try to keep some variety in there just because, you know, you're teaching a lot of people too and people resonate with certain different aspects. And plus it's just more well-rounded and more fun. <laughs> like you, you mentioned, you also do karate. You have a black belt. Have you noticed there's a difference that you experience when you're doing karate versus yoga? Because I can imagine yoga is more meditative, whereas the karate is maybe a little, little bit more aggressive. Yeah, I, there's a difference. Um, there's definitely a difference. And I hadn't done karate in a long time. And I did it uh, a few nights ago. And the, the type of karate I did was almost like a yoga because we did a lot of working in, a lot of the meditation, a lot of things like that. But there is definitely um, a type of flow that I drop into that doesn't exist when I do yoga. Now, I don't know if that's because I, I did it from such a young age. I did it from the time I was 10 years old. Um, or it's because you're kind of, for me, everything's kind of sinking away and you're very focused on this opponent, for lack of a better word. You kind of just, they call it dropping your center. Um, and you're kind of reacting and kind of flowing in a different way. Um, so that, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's definitely a difference. Uh, but what's been fun lately is we talked about Qigong. I've been adding Qigong, sprinkling it here and there in my yoga practice. And that's almost bringing like this karate aspect back into my yoga practice. So I'm sprinkling that in there as well. But I mean, it's all fascinating. It's all great to me. I, I love it all. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if someone would ask you for a recommendation, a style of exercise to get rid of anxiety and you only have, let's say, 15 minutes, what kind of activity would you recommend? Like, would it be Qigong? Would it be some kind of hit that you can do, for example? Because let's say you're going to a meeting in 15 minutes and given the fact that maybe you don't sweat, let's, let's eliminate the sweat factor from the equation here. Sure. Um, would you recommend something like a breathing Qigong? Would you recommend something more chill, go for a walk in the park? Or would you do some kind of 10-minute hit or five-minute hit or even two-minute hit session to kind of get the juices moving? Panic attack, I would go for a hit. If it's just general anxiety, go for a yoga. That's for me. Yeah. That's, that's my go-to. If, if, if it's, I'm freaking out about something, I will just, um, I'm going into burpees. <laughs> uh, if, if it's just a, more of a general anxiety, I'm nervous about something, I'm going right into yoga. Those are my two, my two magic uh, go-tos right there. Yeah, I like that. Um, so let's move on to supplements. What is your go-to number one supplement uh, for anxiety? Turmeric. Turmeric, that's interesting. The um, reasons why? So um, it, it, for me, it really helped with the inflammation. And that's the only thing I can 
pin this on is the inflammation because I noticed a physical difference as well. I took quite a bit of it. And I also, we should note, you have to take it with a little bit of black pepper to increase the bioavailability of it or else it just passes through your system. So if, if anyone could take one supplement, I would say turmeric. Um, but again, that's me. I noticed a difference where I know a woman from my gym, she didn't feel a difference. She felt it with, believe it or not, vitamin B. <laughs> that was where she felt the difference. Don't, I don't know why. That's where she felt it. Um, another one I just think is a great one for people to take is like a flaxseed oil or a fish oil or something with a lot of omega threes. I would, I would like, cause I think people are just low on omega threes in general and they should be up again. Yeah. Uh, so again, reasons why is that again, mostly for the inflammation aspect? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, um, most people at least here are, are living these lifestyles where they're just beating their their bodies up and they're so inflamed from the stress and they're so inflamed from fried foods and all the sugar and we need to find a way to balance this out i have seen interesting studies showing that if someone is for example obese they have inflammation they have um insulin resistance diabetes and stuff like that they actually don't produce um they they produce more um uh, unbalanced amount of these um those spms that comes from the omega-3s so they don't let's say there's uh i'm gonna blank specifically on the details here but let's say there's 10 that's that's not the right number but let's say there's 10 different spms and the healthy person would produce all 10 but the people with obesity and um diabetes would produce let's say five of those mm. so that, they don't get the whole uh, variety of that so that's why there's a lot of studies and meta-analysis coming out showing that fish oils might not have been good as people originally thought. And that's why generally if someone asks, like, what about fish oil? I would always say, like, try some coconut oil instead um, because coconut oil is actually highly anti-inflammatory and it helps to displace the omega-6 um, from being inflammatory. Like the coconut oil, let's say it's just a teaspoon or two, a tablespoon per day, can have strong anti-diabetic, anti-inflammatory effects. And because it's like a more medium chain fatty acid can produce very good energy for the brain as well. So it can help to get you out of that anxiety depressive state, which is often caused by a low energy state. Um, but that's just my opinion on the omegas. Um, like if they work for people, by all means, they can take whatever they want. But yeah. um, like anything that's anti-inflammatory, as you mentioned, like vitamin E, can be highly protective against the oxidation of the polyunsaturated fats and coconut oil. That would be kind of like my go-to for that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like flaxseed oil? Cause that's what I switched to about a year ago. No, I, I don't take any uh, omega threes. I just eat a um, low puffa diet, but I know like a lot of people don't necessarily want to change their diet. They still want to eat their donuts. They still want to eat their junk food. So yeah, they're going to consume a ton of omega six, but again, I would just balance it more with the coconut oil and the vitamin E because that will protect yeah. against the lipid peroxidation and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we have that. And then any other supplements? What about magnesium? Depends on the person. Um, I love it, especially for people who aren't sleeping well, people who aren't relaxing at all. My clientele tends to have a lot of like a, um, muscle tension where they need to be taking Epsom salt baths. They, they need to be like, I mean, they need to be in there every other night and really soaking in the magnesium because they're just so full of anxiety and just you know what i mean i I just so full of tension and they need that to go to sleep so so i'm a i'm of course i'm a big fan as well yeah 
any other supplements, maybe like uh, coenzyme Q10 or uh, you said the vitamin D, but B vitamins, anything else that come to mind? Maybe zinc? Well, these are all things I take, but I also realize I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the exception. And I know a lot of people aren't going to take more than a handful of things, um, which is why I just try to get them getting on. Well, so I, I should tell you, since I'm in New Jersey, we, we call that the Northeast and uh, people here, the vast majority of people are low on vitamin D. So I do try to get people to take vitamin D. And I try to get, I do try to get people to take a blood test as well, because um, if they do, they'll see they're low on vitamin D. Almost, almost everybody up here is low on vitamin D. Like I said before, there's been a correlation. I don't know about necessarily causation in depression, but it's good to, at the very least, get, if they're low on vitamin D, get them on that vitamin D, get those levels back up, right? We come at it from every angle. Yeah. So that's kind of a big one. Yeah. It's, it's almost impossible to isolate. I, I think it would be reductionistic to say like, this is the thing I should mention. There's, there's so many different reasons why someone can be depressed or something, uh, but everything works together. You can't just give one thing. For example, you need vitamin D, but vitamin D works in synergy with, um, your thyroid hormone and your, you exactly. need magnesium to activate the vitamin D and then you need zinc to increase the vitamin D receptor. <laughs> so there, there's so many yeah. different things that work in synergy. You can't just say, hey, take your vitamin D, but you might also be deficient in zinc. But it's one thing I wanted to mention is that very interestingly, doctors now prescribe, not prescribe, but they recommend people take zinc with their SSRI or SNRI drugs they, because the zinc seems to potentiate uh, those drugs, the effectiveness of that. So it, uh, to me, it always comes back to, I think you have a nutritional deficiency. That's why the energy pathways are not working very well. That's why you have inflammation and diabetes and those kind of stuff. That's basically perhaps causing the anxiety that you're having. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you completely. It's, um, it's a tough sell, man. It's a tough sell. And it's funny, it, getting people to just to take supplements, even like a multivitamin or something, it's it's a, it's a tough sell sometimes, you know, they, they, a lot of these people have grown up, they're a little older and they've grown up with so much conflicting information. They don't know what to believe. And they're like, Oh, well, that's just a waste of money. So it's, it's, it's a tough sell for sure. That's yeah. why I always try to start with the, the blood test and say, okay, so now we have some markers here. How can we move these things around? And then we just have the data right in front of us. We can say, okay, these points went up, these points went down. Is there something like we've been going for almost an hour now, is there something that you feel is really important for anxiety that we might not have talked about yet? Um, well, anxiety tends to live in the future. However, I know a lot of people who are anxious because of things that happened in the past or things people said to them, or like you said before, you're anxious about being anxious. Um, so I, I always tell people they have to practice forgiveness, not just with themselves, but for other people. The other people don't understand what you're going through because they can't understand. They're not living in your body. So I have them try to forgive all that stuff that people have said to them. Um, I've had people say some really stupid things to me about my anxiety, but you have to let that go and forgive them. It's almost like you're dropping a weight off your shoulders. They don't understand because they can't understand. And that's fine. That's their path. Let that go. Forgive them for it. And that, that tends to just be another one of those small weights they can drop off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not caring what other people think. That's, that's really important. Like this is your condition. Other people won't understand. Yeah, I like that. Because they can't. They can. That's, that's okay. Yeah. All right. So if you can summarize it in the top five things, uh, the top five list for anxiety, what would you do? Ooh, that's a tough one, man. Well, let's just say 
um, getting your some kind of physical activity in order. So I have like, I have quite a list in there, you know, whether it's uh, yoga or, or weightlifting or, you know, even like tennis, like whatever it is, getting some kind of thing in there. I tend to like things that are around other people. And if you've never worked out before, I understand maybe that there's a big anxiety as far as working out in front of other people. So maybe start with some things by yourself and that's fine too. Start with maybe even just going for a walk. I worked with a guy who was, he had so much anxiety about going for, a, even just going for a walk by himself. I said, don't worry about going around the block. Just go to a couple houses next door, come back. And then every time you go out, add one more house as you walk down the block. So gradually getting further and further and further, he was slowly kind of getting himself, getting himself kind of uh, uh, more comfortable. Another one, and uh, I know we talked about it, but just getting their particular body sorted out as far as the things they should be avoiding, you know, with the, um, with the allergy test. Most people don't talk about that kind of stuff. I think it's really important to get an allergy test. At the very least, you're going to feel a little bit better because you're staying away from those foods that, that aren't agreeing with you. Um, I would prefer, and I know this is difficult, I would prefer to get people into some kind of meditation practice. And it, the trick is everyone says they're bad at meditation, but that's the, the point isn't sitting down and being zenned out. The trick is your mind wanders, you pull it back. Your mind wanders, you pull it back. And that's the act of meditation. And slowly, this is over months, you're going to have to pull it back less and less. Your mind's going to wander less and less. So don't, it's just like going in, into a gym and expecting to be able to lift 500 pounds. It's like, well, that's not going to happen, guys. Like, take your time. Like, this is a practice. This is a practice. So I'm, I'm a big fan of meditation. Another one I really like, another controversial one, I don't watch any news and I prefer people to not watch any news or at least um, limit it as much as possible. Now, people always say, well, how do you know what's going on in the world? If it's important, it finds me. And if it's not important, I don't need to know. I don't need to know what celebrities are up to. I don't need to know what's going on with a lot of things. Um, and I tell people, there's a difference between the world and my world. I have very little control over things that are happening a world away or very little control over what's happening. Things outside of my neighborhood. I have very little control. So I try not to worry about those kind of things. I try to act in just what's in front of me. What can I control in my world? And, and I cut out all that other stuff. Back when I was, when I was very anxious, I remember I was watching a lot of news and then um, it only made it worse. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, who wants to sit down and be bombarded with that? So instead of that, I got a series of like, just like really powerful, good books that I could sit down and read. Like you said, Tim Ferriss, things like that. And I'm just, so instead of sitting down and watching the news or scrolling on the internet, reading news, I'm feeding myself all this really great information. Um, and, and it makes a difference. It makes a difference in your, in, in your daily life when you're just feeling really good about things. Also, I'm going to, I'm going to throw in, you know, podcasts like yours, uh, instead of driving and, and, and I'm a huge music fan, of course, but if you're going on a lot of longer drives, filling in podcasts like this, it makes a huge impact on your life. It really does. And it's, and it's important to feed your mind these great ideas and kind of, um, feeding the courage wolf, so to speak, as opposed to the fear wolf. Yeah. 
That was a little bit longer than five, but I really like your list. I Sorry agree with that, all of man. them. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Provide a lot of value. I really appreciate it. For everyone listening, you can get the book, Depression Relief Playbook. That's correct, right? On Amazon, I will link a few guys in the description. I hope you really enjoyed this. If you have any questions, please leave it in the comments below and we will get back to that. All right, guys, thanks for watching. And I really appreciate you coming on, Jack. We can always do a, I mean, sorry, Zach. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I really appreciate really appreciate you coming on. We can always do a part two where we can talk about depression specifically. This one was about anxiety and I'm sure a lot of things will overlap, but depression can be a separate beast that we can tackle on as well. I appreciate it, man. And I love what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. All right. Cheers, guys.